Providence, Rhode Island. This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Helms. We talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I am alone here today. And I will be for the foreseeable future. But we do have a lot to talk about today. With the AAF going under. I have a lot of thoughts on that. I really want to dive hard into that. Also, the Red Sox getting a bit of a, uh, not the best start to the season so far. I want to touch on that a little bit. Also, the Xander Bogart's contract. Haven't had a chance to weigh in on that yet. Celtics still playing. Bruins still playing. Both teams gearing up the playoffs. Got some thoughts on both of them as well. And if you want to weigh in on any of these topics, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-8787. Once again, that is... 401-456-8787. Call and give me your thoughts. Weigh in on all these topics. Or head to Facebook. Go to the official Stadium Experience Facebook page. And check out the Mike K. Memorial live stream where I broadcast the show live every single week. So check that out right there. And you can drop me some comments there if talking is not your thing. Anyway, though, with all that out of the way, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we are going to dive right in here. And yes, a great shame has befallen all of us. The AAF, and more importantly, the Memphis Express, my my Memphis Express, are, are done, are gone, have folded. The league has ceased operations. Or even if they haven't officially said they're not coming back, they're not coming back. They have folded. And the story behind it is interesting. At least to me, it's interesting. Because the AAF was not doing terribly financially. The ratings were fairly good. They were surprising to a lot of people. Just the level of the ratings. And the... What looks like what happened here is, if you don't remember, or you haven't been following this at all, basically after the first week, the AAF was out of money. They did not have the amount of capital they needed. They did not have the amount of investors they needed. So in came... Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, who came in and basically agreed to overtime give the AAF $250 million. And he then became, I believe the term, the exact term was he had basically the He basically effectively purchased a majority stake in the league. He was a majority owner because, just for clarity, the AAF, the teams are not individually owned. They are, in fact, owned by the league. They're not individually owned like NFL teams, NBA teams, like most major sports leagues are. They are cooperatively owned by the league itself, which is one entity onto itself. So if there's a majority share in the league, by de facto, you know, you are a majority owner of every single team. And... He gave them the capital and they were able to keep going. And once again, seemingly the league was doing okay. Maybe not great. The Express not having a great season. Could have gone and seen them. Didn't do it. Gosh darn it. But they did not. He did not have the money. But he provided them capital that needed. Now, what has now happened is that seemingly Dundon himself That 
Dundon himself made this decision. Seemingly that the idea being that Dundon went against the wishes of the other owners of the league who are... And this all coming from Albert Breer, by the way. The, you know, the main people behind the league. You know, Charlie Ebersole, Bill Polian. If you remember Bill Polian. Were the main architects, the main people behind this league. And Dundon came in, though. But with his financial contributions, he seemingly outranks them. He became the, you know, once again, the de facto chief executive of the league. And this is supposedly his decision to cease operations. Once again, they're folding in the middle of the season. They're not going to finish the season now. They had a few more games left. The Express still had a chance to get things back, but still had a chance with Manziel to get things back on track. But what is seemingly at play here, according to Albert Breer, is that the perception inside, and this is exactly from his Twitter, the perception inside the AAF, is that Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon bought a majority stake in the league simply for the gambling app being developed. Source, Dundon got the technology he wanted, and, he, and he's now minus one rather large headache. And what he's saying there is that the AAF, which I did not know, which I did not know this, was apparently in the process of developing some sort of gambling app with MGM, their hotels and all that, developing some sort of gambling app. Because obviously, as we know, sports betting has become federally legal. Or at least has been federally decriminalized. So sports betting is on the come up right now. Sports betting is spreading to more areas. Sports betting has spread to Tiverton, for God's sakes. Here's a sports book right down the street from my house, where I am trying to do a show from, by the way. So the people there really need to give me a call back, because I they would, they would love to have the award-winning stadium experience there, but and it would be way closer to my house. But nevertheless... What is happening here is that they were developing the app, and thusly the AAF has proprietary rights to this app. To the gambling app, the technology, the rights with it. Supposedly they were also looking to bring in they were supposedly looking to bring in other Well, basically bring in other leagues in on it. Basically, like not just having an AAF gambling app, but having one that's shared between all the leagues. And seemingly, or between other, that's not shared by the other league, but like you can bet on a bunch of other stuff on it, basically. And apparently, according to these reports, and according to a lot of people's perception, Dundon bought into the AAF, gave them this money, became the majority owner, not because he wanted to run a football league or because he wanted involvement in yeah running a football league he bought the AF because that would give him he didn't buy the AF but he you know gave them all the money got all the power there so he could have the rights to this gambling app because he you could say well why can't he just developing himself apparently there would be something with proprietary rights linked up in that so since the AF owns this if he buys this app and then just cuts all the operation costs of the football stuff and just has this app he can own it, and he can do what he wants to do with that. And he ended up making, spending $70 million of that, you know, what was going to be a $250 million loan, basically, over time, since I said the money over time anymore. 
And I, I, I don't know if that is a lot of money. I, I don't know if that is a little money to pay for this kind of thing because I am not some tech mogul yet. I'm not a tech mogul yet. But conceivably, he got what he wanted. Once again, he got dirt. Dundon got the technology he wanted. And now he's minus one rather large headache. And if that's what happens, that sort of contextualizes what happened. Something that happened a couple days ago, really, where he basically, where Dundon basically went public and said, you know, the AAF cannot survive unless we get basically claimed that the AAF cannot survive if the NFLPA will not let us use practice squad players in our league, which is apparently which has apparently been some sort of goal of the league to eventually get to a point where the NFL will let practice squad players go there and develop and everything. And apparently, and he went and said this, and it struck me as a little odd. Because he literally said, we might have to fold if we can't get this now. Which, that struck me as odd, because, let's say, the league was doing okay in its first year. I, from what I had understood from other reports, the goal was maybe to get to the NFL being involved by year three. And he's out here saying it now. Oh, yeah, no, we, we're going to have to fold if we can't get the NFLPA to play ball with us. Oh, man, we'll have to fold. And looking at that now, I almost see that as was he saying that to set it up and almost, I don't want to say cushion the blow, but that would be like, well, he did say they'd have to fold if they're going to get the NFLPA, so I guess it makes sense that they'd fold. Just to kind of, I don't know, legitimize it folding, put it in people's minds. I don't know exactly how to word it, but, you know, was the start of this some sort of ploy by Dundon to just kind of start setting up for that? So he could then come in and shut down the league and say, well, I said we'd have to fold. When really, once again, all along, his entire goal was just to get some, just to get the rights to this gambling technology. Or this gambling app. And if that's the case. I don't like to. I, I hate to see that. Because I like the AAF as a concept. I want to see it keep going. I mean obviously you know, I got to root for my express. My boys in Memphis. But. You read further. And. You do see like cost cutting was going on across the board in this in this league. And a part of that is probably just due with the fact that they, you know, they ran out of money almost immediately. But and not doing much, but Dundon does excuse me, not Dundon. Brio does explain a list of things like how you know non-players and non-coaches team staff couldn't eat on the planes that they cut team dinners and instead of just giving players an allowance to eat basically things like that little cost cutting things you know was Dundon just trying to make this league cost as little as possible to him for as long as he for as short an amount of time before he felt like he could 
I don't want to say legitimately, but at least with looking as not bad as possible, just cut his loss and be like, okay, we're going to quit now. You know, I feel like I've gotten to the point I can where now I can fold this and at least have an excuse and then also by saying, well, we're going to. We're going to, you know, we can't do it now. The NFLPA, so people can go, oh, yeah, that's why they folded. And maybe take the attention off of, you know, what is seemingly he's really doing here. And really, no nothing like that works in 2019. Like, I, I don't know why guys keep trying to, like, finesse things like this. Like, you can't finesse anything this day and age. It's so hard. Everybody will hear everything that you do in 2019. So there's a little bit of word of wise. Committing, like, doing things like this is very like trying to warp public perception unless you're willing to put like a mountain of effort into it you're not going to do it and that being said though you know is there any recourse that can be taken about this because if these are his real intentions what is here and there is a good article that i read this morning it came out yesterday on sportsillustrated.com it is by michael mccain mccann michael mccann excuse me and it is chaos and fallout, the legal impact of the AAF's potential collapse. And it goes over the financial structure of the AAF, stuff I just explained to you, how it's one, you know, one, one league that owns all the teams, yada, yada, yada. The issues they had. But it then kind of just goes into, you know, does Dundon have the right to do this and can he do it? And it basically says, you know, they might ask them in the coming days, expect attorneys from Ebersol, Polian, and other investors to comb over AAF governing documents. They might ask themselves this question. If Dundon is calling all the shots on his own, is he legally authorized to take such consequential measures in the absence of approval of or at least consultation with other AAF officials? As, as requested by an, as reported by a number of journalists close to the AAF, officials, coaches, and players today's development came as a complete shock although the league has experienced financial woes there was confidence that the AF would survive at least to the end of the season and basically once again the idea that really like nobody felt like this had to happen the chief people in the AF, the key people in the AF did not see this as necessary they thought the league was doing okay but then once again here comes in Dundon to shut it down Since the AF is a, and then it goes over like how the NBA can dissolve, and that's interesting actually. You, like I said, you should give this article a read. But since the AF is a single entity, perhaps it does not operate with such procedures, and perhaps Dundon can essentially do whatever he wants. Still, as a business worth at least hundreds of millions of dollars, it's reasonable to expect the governing documents are instructive on what appears to be the pending dissolution, dissolution, blah, dissolu dissolution of the AAF. If those documents were not followed, Ebersol, Polian, and other investors and even coaches and players could seek a temporary restraining order from a court to stop a closure of the league and rewind the documents. And, and, and stop, excuse me, rewind the decision to stop playing until the court could review the situation.
And then finally, it then goes into like, can he do this? And can he basically just go, okay, I have the AF. I don't want it. Just want this. Just want this app. I'm out. And once again, it's not clear yet if Dundon owning this then gives him proprietary rights over this app or if that defaults to the MGM. And then finally, the idea, you know. And just it just further goes into legal ramp, you know, the idea that, well, if he's not acting in good faith to the investors, even if he's a chief, he is once again the head of a board of investors, effectively. And if they can show that he's not operating in the best interest of the league, which, yes, shutting down the league because you want the gambling app, but probably construe not operating the best. Could they sue him? Could players sue him? And it's kind of inconclusive, and you can't really say until unless we were to know the exact details of what did he buy when he gave them the money. Did he effectively buy the league? Did he buy a controlling stake in the league? And what does that controlling stake entail? How much was this just his company to do what he wants with? And once again, I don't know. Like, that is not out there. But it will be interesting, and it will also be funny, honestly, to see a restraining order put against it and basically be like, oh, no, everybody. They sent out tweets saying, everybody, go home. April 3rd, after that, you're not getting paid. We didn't get to you. We didn't get to you. We're sorry, but you're done. You're fired. You're out. The league's over. And even they're even making players pay their own way to go home. You know, if you got to fly home, you got to get somewhere, cover it yourself. Airfare is not going to be on us. It is not going to be on the league. So... I don't, like I said, it's very sketchy. And you have to feel that maybe there is some recourse. I don't, I don't know if they'll pursue it. Like, maybe they're just going to give up if the league wasn't making money. It's not worth a headache. I don't know. But it's interesting, and it's it's disappointing. But at the same time, you know what? Maybe this is more interesting than anything that the AAF would turn up. I don't know. But here we are. And the Express are dead. And it's sad to see. And it is, once again, sad to see because I do think that there is a lot of value in a second-tier professional football league. I think the NFL could use a D-league. They had one with NFL Europe forever, and they got rid of it. I still think that the NFL could use some kind of developmental league. I don't think that getting the NFL players really would have made or broken this league. Because in the end, like getting practice squad guys is what they have. Like This was a league comprised of practice squad guys. So I don't know how much getting NFL practice squad guys really would have improved the league, but... They just think that that would have been more viable just because maybe they thought the NFL would pay them. I thought that partnership, they'd bring them in on some things and that would help them have some more long-term stability. I don't know. I'm just from a pure quality of play perspective from, you know, a name recognition perspective. I don't think it really would have radically improved their rosters, but which is why, once again, I don't, I don't believe it when you tell me that or when Dundon tells you that. That's why they have to fold. I just don't buy that. I don't think that makes any sense. But who knows? We will see things, how they play out as they keep going on. And I'm going to pay very close attention to the story. Anyhow, though, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will dive into some Red Sox. Ever want to start talking about them? 
a rough start to the season. Xander Bogart's contract as well. Want to touch on that, and we will do that in just a minute. And if you want to weigh in on any of this or the AAF, please do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-8787. Once again, that is 401-456-8787. We'll be back in just a minute, and I will see you all then. For the best local pizza, look no further than Big Tony's Pizzeria at 525 Eaton Street, Providence, featuring daily specials and free delivery until 4 a.m. Get a whole pie or just a slice at the home of the Gangster Rap. So call in at 401-490-0000 for a slice of the local favorite, Big Tony's. Often imitated, never duplicated. hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmsley. All the best going on down here. We've been got a little too much here. We've talked about the AAF up to this point. I want to transition away from that, but if you want to chime in back on it or talk about anything else, do not be afraid to call in at 401 456 8787. And let me know what's going through your mind. Chit chat there. Anyway, though, with that, we are going to change gears and talk about the Red Sox whom have had not a phenomenal start to things here. The Red Sox, obviously, right now, we all know it, one and five. Their starting pitching has just been getting shelled every game up until yesterday, where they, at the very least, only lost by one, a one nothing game. Chris Sale still giving up a run, and... Yeah, the team hasn't looked its best so far. We talked about this at the beginning of the year, how they do have a bulk of, really, most of their resources right now invested in starting pitching. They have not, though, utilized those assets. No, they have, those assets not played well. Now, a lot of people have made it of the fact that potentially Cora, it's part of the fact that they played a very, very, very light schedule in or the, they gave the starting pitchers a very light workload in spring training, which Cora has talked about. Cora's come out on record and effectively said, like, hey, listen, this is what we did. And if that is what's affecting guys, then, and people have made it out, that, oh, well, it's been affecting them. And it has been. And they, ha- they have looked like pitchers who are a little rusty, a lot of them. Can't say I've been watching every single game. I'm not gonna l- sit here and lie to you all, but still, they have, you know, guys have looked rusty this year. They have start the year, and that, but if that's what he, what he's done, and he did make a point about that, he did basically say something along the lines of, "Well, last year, you know, when I came here two years ago, people were coming at me because 
guys were out of bullets. And you know what? I heard that, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, Alex Cora. You know what? You're right. I, 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 you know, I always get a little annoyed when guys come out and lash out against the media because they think it's silly. I think you should stop getting all mad at people talking about what they're talking about. But whatever. I mean, on, his, on the point, though, you know what? He's right. And I've been a record a million times. Who cares about these first 60 games in the MLB season? Really, who cares? So if that's what they're doing, and if, I mean, if they stay at this pace, they do have to start winning games eventually. But if this is according to the plan, and the plan is, you know, the, we're going to accept that the starting pitchers are going to be slow getting out of the blocks here. They're not going to be their best at the beginning of the year. We're going to play it slow here, and we're going to let guys... coming at their own pace I'm okay with that I hope a lot of these guys haven't turned into pumpkins because you know there's a million question marks on this staff I mean there always are I feel more confident about some of them because you know they did win the world series but that can only you know for me personally that can only it won't take long before I do start having my doubts I do start because that's how my brain works and more doubts will creep into my mind because yeah Chris Sale still a little uncomfortable about the extension Glad they did it, but also, when does that guy start to break down? David Price. I feel like most of his issues were all in his head, and that conceivably winning in the playoffs should make those issues go away, but he was still talking about it after they won. He was still talking about having all the cards, so I don't know. Where is he? I feel confident. I feel most. Honestly, David Price would be the one I feel the most confident about, though. And then, you know, Nathan Avaldi was a nothing until this year, played really well, and then got the big money. I, I'm glad they gave him that contract, too. I like the deal. It's a good deal if he's close to the player he was in the World Series, but, excuse me, or in the playoffs, but if we're being objective, that was not, he was not even close to that player for the other 80% of his career. It's not going to just lock in Nathan Avaldi. I hope he is, and I hope he stays that way, but it's not guaranteed. And then... Rick Porcello, who, once again, fabulous postseason, but all his career, he's been, I don't know, he's been Rick Porcello. Like, I've, I've never had a lot of love for Rick Porcello. Like, everybody knows that. So, you know, I still can't be surprised when he comes up and gives up four runs and two and two and two-thirds. So, I think he's better than that. But like I said, like, it's not like there aren't question marks on this pitching staff. Am I going to sit here? and start panicking, because then people will just say, well, they just won the World Series, calm down, and those people would be right. But on the same token, I'm not going to sit here and com completely reserve any and all judgment until August, September. Like, if things keep going in this direction, I'll, I'll eventually have to come around and be like, okay, may maybe there's probably actually some problems here. Like I said, right now, I'm fine with the idea that it has to do with workloads and spring training, this is according to plan. Right now, I'll believe that. Right now, if that's a plan, I love that plan. Because these guys just played a lot of extra baseball also. Going to the World Series, that's an extra, what, fourth of a season? Something like that? How many games did they play in the postseason? Nine, ten. Whatever it is, like, a good chunk. A lot of these pitchers went deep in a lot of these games. Fine. Even then, just that. Giving them an extended break from that so it si lines up with the breaks of, you know, other pitchers who maybe didn't, who... Didn't pitch deep into the postseason. Didn't pitch into the postseason at all. Fine. Like I said, though, I'm not going to completely reclude myself from 
recuse myself. That's the word. I'm not going to completely recuse myself from the right to start to worry if things go south with this team down the stretch. So, you know, that's just how I feel. That being said, I'm not worried about it yet. What I am, what I do want to talk about, though, is what was the, what came, I believe, over the weekend. I'm not sure on the exact date, but the extension for Xander Bogarts, who got a six-year, 132, $142, $120 million extension, really, because he's going to play out this final year. Under the $12 million he has on the under the excuse me arbitration deal that they gave him, and then he will be playing at a rough average AAV of around at least in terms of like actual cap hit or luxury tax hit, what it actually counts towards on the roster. around 20 million dollars per year which is the highest aav i found which has surprised me a little bit which is currently the highest aav for a player for a shortstop which i actually really did not know i knew it would be high but even then i saw this contract and i have to admit i'm a-okay with it like this is a good contract I am surprised that they were able to sign Xander Bogus for the amount of money that they were able to sign him. I was of the belief for a little bit, and I said this a couple months ago, that I almost felt like the Red Sox would get to a point where they had to choose between if they want to keep Mookie Betts, who is going to hate to just keep bringing up Mookie Betts, but that's kind of how this, what this all centers around. I started to be of the belief that if you wanted to keep Mookie Betts, it was going to come down to Either or with Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts. Felt like they couldn't keep both those guys. But at least at the moment, they've kept both those guys. And also, Scott Boris contract. I've talked about the specter of Scott Boris for a while now. And the way he handles his clients. But they were able to get a Scott Boris client to come in. Once again, I mean, it's Bogarts' decision in the end. I do think he has more love for Boston. At least he's displayed more love for being here and everything than Mookie Betts has, which is not a knock on Mookie Betts, by the way. But just like, I don't know why, I just feel that way. Maybe it's partially because he signed the contract. But they look him down. And you know, maybe if I'm going to really keep the conspiracy theory hat on from the last segment, maybe that's a part of it. Maybe part of the idea here is, you know, trying to soften up Scott Boris by re-signing his client and giving him good money. But again, this feels like a deal for Xander Bogarts. I do feel like Xander Bogarts would get significantly more than this, or at least more than this. And maybe I'm over, maybe I'm just overvaluing shortstops because clearly they make less money than I thought they did. And they are coming at him on after what well, was kind of a down year. Maybe that's a part of it. Like maybe a li some sliver of this is we warm up Scott Boris. We get him ready, and then maybe that'll help us in negotiations with Mookie Betts. Or it might be that Betts just wants to hit the open market. No problem. It has nothing to do with his agent. And that softening up. The, and in the end, Betts isn't going to care if you re-sign Bogarts because he does not get a percentage of Bogarts' contract. Probably cares because he's his teammate. He wants to see him make money and everything. But just from a 
you know, that is not a favor to Mookie Betts. You know, that doesn't do anything for Mookie Betts. That would make him maybe want to negotiate with you more. But maybe it's part of it. But either way, they have brought back Xander Bogarts on a good, affordable contract. And I'm happy. I mean, I'm glad they have the player. That would have been a pain. That would, play would have been a pain. To, that player would have been a pain to bring back. In my own humble opinion. That player would would not have been great to bring back. Oh, excuse me. That would, and it is hard to find a shortstop, especially one who will play in here. And you know they did. They have a player who was able to play in Boston and succeed. Sometimes I feel like he's underperforming, but in the end, he has been successful. You haven't had to worry about Xander Bogarts a lot of the time. So fine, good signing by the Red Sox. But like I said, like everything else, where does it fit into this giant puzzle? Re with re-signing bets. With even J.D. Martinez now, how does this affect him? How does this affect his role on the team, his future on the team? Because he can opt out after the season, and I have to think J.D. Martinez is going to opt out. I don't know why he wouldn't opt out. Frankly, J.D. Martinez, who wanted a bigger deal than he ended up getting, who sat on the market waiting for something that he thought was closer to what he thinks what he sees himself as worth. Who sat there waiting? I think he's going to opt out and make and try to maybe get money here, but I think he wants more money. I don't think he wants to make 19 million after the MVP caliber season he just had. Season where maybe he should have been the AL MVP. I kind of think he should have personally. In my own opinion, the career year he just had. And he is a guy who could opt out and will not be in next year, will not have a great free agency class. I mean, I'm looking at a list right now of top guys, you know. You know, Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Josh Donaldson, Didi Gregorius. Like, th those are your top guys. J.D. Martinez will, sign, will shine in that class and will definitely, you know, if and he will be older. He will be 32. He's off to a good start this year. There hasn't really showed much signs of slowing down. But once again, I don't want to read into too much of the first six games. He, you have to pay him. Or somebody has to pay him, and maybe that's it. Like, maybe J.D. Martinez is the piece that kind of falls to the wayside. Because it's somebody, they're gonna not, they have to not be able to re-sign somebody at some point. Like, I'm not complaining, but it just feels like rationally, like, Eventually, they're going to hit that point where they just don't have the money. And But you know what? If that's their... Like I said, they're going to have to give Mookie Betts a mountain of money. A mountain of money. It'll be close to 400, I'm telling you. I've been saying it. But maybe JD's a guy who goes... And I have to be honest. Like I said, JD Martinez, I think he maybe should have been the AL MVP last year. I think Mookie Betts' success last year was big part to do with JD Martinez. I do. And maybe that thus makes it weird that my next suggestion is going to be maybe J.D. Martinez is a guy you let go, but you're just looking at youth. You know, he's the older one. You know, he's the oldest. He's probably, you know, maybe the outside of the pitching staff. I mean, he's the oldest, you know, real core guy on this team. Maybe that's the plan. 
Maybe he's the one that kind of let fall to the wayside, which I can't argue with that too much. I mean, in a vac, yeah, right now I'd rather have JD than Xander, but you know what? Like, Xander will be here longer. Xander's contract keeps him here till he's 33, right when he'd probably start to decline. So you have him basically for the locked up for the prime of his career, unless he opts out. I believe he does have an opt out in 2022, but either way, you know, you have the guy locked up pretty good. So if JD's a guy who let go and let he runs somewhere else and gets a ton of money, and that's just cost of doing business. You know, that guy's a mercenary. You got that guy for nothing. You didn't get and that would be the worst thing in the world. You'd hate it in the short term, but in the end, like JD Martinez is not a guy you gave up a thing to get. You did not trade a prospect. You did not develop that guy. That was a free agent. He came in. You got him for free. You just had to give him money, and he succeeded, and you won a World Series, and you conceivably should be contending for another one. And then you take a small step back, but you keep your core guys. I don't know. That's not the worst thing on the planet. That or maybe and maybe he takes a pay cut to stay, and maybe even then you can't afford it. I don't know how many high players, you know, not everybody on the team can be making $20 million. It feels like everybody on the team is right now, but at a certain point, not everybody can be making 20 mil, 18 mil, 25 mil. Like, at a certain point, you'll run out of money. So, We'll see. I mean, like I said, I don't know what the plan is, but it might be that J.D. Martinez turns out being the odd man out on his baseball team. Which, once again, hate to see, but... Listen, if they come out of all this and they still have sale and the only guy they've lost is Martinez, that's not bad. That's decent management by Dave Dombrowski. You know, and I don't know if you want to... And I don't know what the next step is, because then I said, then you have to try and find a way to replace him. And like I said, you have nothing. And I don't know who's going to, because it feels like everybody's kind of had their development. So I don't know who comes on and becomes the next big guy for this team. But, you know, you cross that bridge when you come to it. You know, the next move then has to be to find a way to do that. But we'll see. Anyway, though, bit of a short show here today, but I think we can call it quits here for today. You've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We will be back next week, 4 to 6 p.m., Wednesday, right here, same time, same place. Live stream will hopefully not crap out on me. And, yeah, I will see you all then. Have a lovely week. Have a lovely weekend. And we will see you all next time.